I think trouble starts when we dedicate ourselves to actualizing a concept of who we should be like this patient of yours. I got to be the CEO to be okay. That's how people are going to love me and for me to belong. What happens in recovery is instead of being dedicated to actualizing a concept of who we should be, we dedicate ourselves to actualize who we are. It starts right here, deep in your heart. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most. It starts right here. Welcome to Start Right, Right Here. I'm Tom Rutledge, and I'm glad to be back. I'm here with my with my, my better and better friend as time goes on, because we, as we were talking just the other day, Alan, it's like we're, we, we have spent such quality time across this, from, our, from Tennessee to, to, to California since the COVID thing. It's, it, is our, it is our silver lining. And I, and I love that we, among other things, we have this podcast. And so I hope you're, hope you're doing well. And I know you have a, we have a wonderful guest today that I'm going to let you introduce because you know him much better than I. Well, I, I would love to do that. And hello, everyone. I'm, I'm Dr. Alan Berger, and we do have an incredible guest today. But Tom, before I introduce him, mm-hmm. I want to share with you, I got an email today. It's, finally. Huh? We got an email. <laughs> I mean, we he's, he, he, he's been he, he's been I've, wanting an email for years. I've got an email today. It's my first email <laughs> in my in my inbox that I've ever had, and it and it says what is the monkeys and fan mail. Remember the group, the monkeys. I'm yeah, a believer, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the monkeys. Still love the monkeys. So, dear dear Alan, it has been a long time since writing a fan letter to anyone. The last one may have been in 1967 when I was in the seventh grade and an avid fan of the monkeys. I usually do not tell that to anyone, she says. Well, I it's am, okay. Yeah, I am, but that's good. You're, am, good. you're in good company, man, the monkeys. I'm in the monkeys. I am writing to thank you and Tom for the 12 sessions on fear and anxiety, for the weekly podcasts on Start Right Here, for the Thursday night emotional sobriety meeting, and your podcast on our current politics. And most of all, thanks for the wisdom, the practical suggestions, and the laughters you share um, on share with very critical life lessons in recovery. Wow. I so appreciate the open sharings regarding your life journey over the years in recovery. It has given me permission to own the bumps in my own journey, especially now. So she goes on to say about how she found her recovery in the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. And it's been incredible for her. And she's finally getting past this feeling that she's been a, a loser her whole life. 
So I just wanted to share that with you, Tom, because I thought that there's some of the fruits of our labor, right? Absolutely. And Patrick as well. It's like, I know. It's uh, lovely. uh, Here, really. Here, here we come walking down the street. street. That's That's the, the, I watched I wrote back to her. I said I watched him on a weekly basis on this. I show. love the monkey. I, I was listening to the monkeys yesterday. It's like yeah, I love them. They're monkeys. a great band, man. Mm-hmm. I, I got a thing that Nederlander concerts. They're mm-hmm. they're coming back out. They're going to do another tour. So yeah, yeah. guys come back out. Well, look, I am very excited because someone that I've gotten to know over the last, I'd say, four years, I think it's been, is Dr. Michael McGee, and he's a psychiatrist up in Central California. And- Speaking of being fans, because I think I think you I think you guys are friends. But when I've when I've heard you talk about 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 uh, Michael, I, I I think you're a fan. I am of, a of fan his. You, you are. I, you know, my, Michael, you bring what what I consider to be an amazing quality um, that I don't find in many psychiatrists, and you bring a certain um, humility, a certain interest in in far more than just medicating people and finding the right psychotropic that can help turn around their life. I mean, and you bring that, that unique quality of being concerned with, with people, period. And psychiatry is just like something you bring also to the scene, but it's, you bring so much more than just your understanding of psychotropics and medication you bring this wealth of knowledge that you've been sharing and people in recovery. And I just got your book on, on pain and helping people with chronic pain. And when they get addicted to painkillers and stuff, and you know, you're just providing a great service to those in your community and into the world. So it's with great pleasure that um, I welcome you to start right here. Oh, thank you. Well, it's an honor to be with both of you, Tom, uh, Ellen, you guys, you guys are fantastic. And I really, enjoying being part of your your Thursday night group and uh, soaking up both of your wisdom. I feel I feel like a student in a way with the two of you. Um, yeah, it's been well, wonderful. Well that, but that's, you know, that's the cool thing though. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that, that's, you know, if, if we're doing this thing right, we're all, we're all students. I mean, yeah. that's, and we're learning from, and I, and I love being, you know, and I love being, you're talking about the humility part about that is, it's like, you know, I mean, we can talk about humility forever, but I mean, ultimately it just means, you know, that uh, as, as a client of mine says, we just have to remember every day that we're not that muck and fudge. The whole deal about being that psychiatrist who can, who sees people, who cares about people, who can talk to people is such a, such a big thing for me because, because I've, I've been, I've been treated for, for depression for uh, years, many years, a couple of decades now. Um, and I was sober first and then later bottomed out with depression and, and, and having been somebody who's referred so many people to different psychiatrists, you know, a psychiatrist who is a collaborator and who, who, who knows that if you're going to give me a medic medication to see if it's going to help me, that I am the source of your information for whether it's helping me rather than whatever you just read in that journal is, has been, it's, I, I just, that's it's it's sad that it's rare but it is 
And it's so good to know that there are psychiatrists out there, people who have that knowledge about the medications. And I mean, and I just, you know, so if, as you are among that group, uh, I, I owe much, much to you as much as I do to, to recovery from and 12 steps and, and other therapy I've had because, because with, without, without proper medical treatment, for me, the world is a dark place. And it's like, and I've learned that through the, through the years. And it's like, uh, it does, you know, there's some of that that's just because of my brain. Right. So. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so funny. I, I, um, I, I, I think of myself as a reluctant prescriber. I've been uh, reviewing the work of Robert Whitaker recently, um, who wrote a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic and another book called Bad in America. And um, his work has really shaken me because he, he really, he's a, he's a medical journalist and he uh, really details um, a sort of a, a polemic point of view that, that medications do more harm than good, which I don't agree with, but, but it is true that, that antidepressants and antipsychotics uh, uh, can cause harm. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and so really uh, when I prescribe medications, I, I really do so very, very cautiously. Um, I almost, I try not to actually, I'd say half of the people that I see, I end up not prescribing medications to, but instead will do something else. I, ha I had somebody come to me who his wife had sent them to me. He said, you're depressed and, and after and change your medications. And after going through a full understanding, it, it, the reason why he was depressed is because he was in a very high stress environment with a broken relationship and it was the marriage and the high stress of her uh, children yeah. and his lack of self-care that was all contributing to his depression. And so I never put him on medications. And, and I think that that's a problem in our society is that with psychiatry is, I think the field of psychiatry is in crisis right now uh, because we've been forced by the insurance companies into this very narrow 15 minute biomedical model. And I do think that that model does more harm than, than good. And, I'm almost scared to say this, but I feel like there's a great risk of the professional psychiatry at this point doing more harm than good because of the environment in which we're currently practicing and the way that healthcare is structured. Well, one one of just we say that one of the ways that, that that I mean, there's I realize there's lots of lots of harm that can be done. One of one of the just the sort of the normal day to day ways that can do harm is is I, you know, I'm very careful, but when I, when I refer people for, for medication, it's interesting. My philosophy is basically we work on this stuff. And if we find that we're doing everything that we can do uh, with your life in therapy and you're, you're still, there's still something that's just missing, then we're going to, we're going to, we have a kind of a, we have a list of questions we go through to say, let's see, then we may want to do that. But that, you know, I definitely don't start people with, with that, but but one of the things that can happen, and this can happen with with, ther with th bad therapists too, is that somebody can go to, to a doctor. They can try. They can tr they try medication. It doesn't doesn't do them any good, or it makes them feel bad. They get off of it, and then down the line, somebody suggests uh, uh, seeing a psychiatrist for medication, and that maybe that's what they really do need. But but they say I've already tried that, because because nobody's ever worked with them as an individual to try to figure that out, including that, that what you're talking about, which is, is this situational or is this biochemical? 
so it's it's like I think I think it's so important that people be good consumers of all of our services. And so I hope that's one of the things that we're talking here that people can hear that if you if you if you feel if you if you're with a psychiatrist or if you if you need to see a psychiatrist, listen, listen to what Michael's saying, because because what you want is somebody, somebody who's going to talk to you, wants to see you, doesn't want to just they don't just assume that, that they want to figure out what medication to put you on. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. If, if you're going to go on medications, do so very, very cautiously and do so um, only as only if absolutely necessary. Um, but again, you know, on the other hand, there, there, are, there are medications that are absolutely life-saving. Um, for example, with opioid use disorder or heroin, or heroin um, addiction, for example, if you go to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, a lot of people will say that if you're on Suboxone, you're not truly in recovery. Um, well, they go outside to then smoke their cigarette, which is going to probably take 10 to 20 years of their life. Um, but if you look at the literature on, on opiate use disorder, if you have a heroin or pain pill addiction, without uh, buprenorphine, you're, the relapse rate after about a year is about 90% um, for people who are new to recovery. Whereas the re-addiction rate, if you're on Suboxone or buprenorphine, as it's called, um, the re-addiction rate goes down from 90% down to around 30 to 35%, maybe even less if it's in the context of really good comprehensive addictions treatment. So in that situation, buprenorphine is an absolutely life-saving medication. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, just, it's just this idea of being very, very, very cautious, but also using medications when they're absolute, when they will you know, have a good chance of, of, of significant benefit. NA's official position is they don't have a, a, um, a position about buprenorphine. Right. What they do is they leave each meeting to its own group consciousness. So there's meetings out there. So if somebody's listening to this, you can find NA meetings where they would consider you clean if you're on buprenorphine and you're taking it as prescribed. Now, there's some meetings that say, no, if you're using it, then you're considered, then you can't share in the meeting. But, you know, just I, I do want people to hear that there are meetings. You can check it out because each group is going to make that decision. And look, and if you're if you know a couple of your friends that you're in recovery, you guys can form your own meeting with your own rules because it's, mm -hmm. it's a group consciousness in that, you know, there's no they don't take that position on outside issues. So it's there. There is some room for that which is good news in my opinion. I agree with you, Michael, is that for some people that have tried many, many times, buprenorphine can keep them from overdosing and killing themselves and, and give them a chance to find recovery. Now, one of the things that when people are coming off of it, this is what I've experienced, they go through a hell of a withdrawal. Now, do, can you help us understand why that is if somebody's on buprenorphine, that when they start to get down, to very low dosage, they have a lot of trouble coming off that last, what is it, one milligram or one and a half milligrams or two to five milligrams of, of the dose? Yeah, uh, so that, you see the similar problem with, with a lot of medica you know, medications that, that affect the brain. Uh, that includes antidepressants and antipsychotics and buprenorphine. Um, there, there's, there's a process that goes on in the brain that we don't really fully understand in, in buprenorphine situation, but it's called neuroadaptation. And what it is is the brain neuroadapts because you're, 
the buprenorphine is stimulating uh, some of your opioid receptors, your mu receptors and your kappa and your delta receptors. And in stimulating those, it's basically the brain is then adjusting to a, sort of a new sort of equilibrium. Uh, and there's probably um, epigenetic changes in terms of actual uh, e expression uh, of different um, proteins that, that, are, that are produced from, from uh, mRNA that is, that is generated from chromosomes. And so that, that's really, you've got, a, you've got these medications modify the brain. Yeah. And, and then the brain gets to a point where it reaches an equilibrium where it requires that medication for normal functioning. Uh, it's, so it's extremely complicated, but that's sort of the general principles. Yeah. And so when I taper people up buprenorphine, I do so uh, over a period of um, 10, 15, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And some patients I don't taper off at all. I let my patient decide that. Yeah. I mean, for some patients, they, they just want to be on it the rest of their lives. And, and, and the harm that that causes them is that they have to pay me once every month or two to see me, and they have to do a drug screen every month. And so they, they decide that that harm <laughs> is, well worth, is well worth the benefit. Um, yeah, we, we got to make a living, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you're right. Harm in, in compared to what's going on in their life. And you're right. I mean, look, it keeps them out of. I'm sorry. And for the ones who want to come off of it, then I will I will taper the dose by a 30 second of a um, of a strip every wow. you know, two or three months um, over a period of years and years. It turns out even coming off antidepressants and, and other medications, it's really good to do micro tapers over a very, very long period of time. Hmm. Yeah. These are powerful drugs. Yes, they are. I always tell someone you can you can tell if you're in a danger zone though, because if the if the drug you're using has a street value, then you got to watch out. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, you don't see anybody on the corner selling Prozac. Hey, man, I got Prozac, thirty bucks, thirty bucks a day. Nobody's buying it, right? I mean, you know, you. But I got OxyContin. Uh, that's on the street, right? <laughs> Yeah, but people think, but people don't understand, and there's actually a really robust literature that has examined the street sale and usage of buprenorphine. And what people don't understand is if you look at that literature, that the people who are buying it are not buying it to get high. They're buying it to get sober. Yes, that's and, right. And again, it's another travesty of our healthcare system is that we 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 have we have we have a we just have a terrible healthcare system um, where we don't have enough providers that can provide this treatment uh, in an affordable way with an insurance uh, system that would, would support it. So um, there's a lot of d diversion that goes on because people are wanting this medication to reduce their withdrawal symptoms. Um, they're not doing using it to get high. So that's like, a good point, isn't it? In terms of access and availability uh, and stuff like that. That's so true. Look, we, I, I don't want to influence this time in any one direction because I want to make room for you to talk about what you're excited about. And I have some ideas about that. Okay, go ahead. But where would you like to go with, with this time that we're spending together? Would well, you like myself, um, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I, I think that I would like to talk about um, a sort of healing and recovery uh, according to uh, 
an approach that I do in my therapy. So I'd say about half to two thirds of my work is doing psychotherapy rather than medications. So, and that's my real passion actually is, is psychotherapy. And I've developed sort of a spiritually informed approach towards uh, recovery that I call the three A's of awakening. And, you know, I, I, I say that again, Michael, what do you call it? I lost you. The, the three A's of awakening. Three A's of awakening. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. The three A's of awakening. And basically, um, you know, I, what I'm, because I'm a little bit of a, of a nerd, um, I, or maybe a lot of a nerd, I've really done a lot. Of, I spent years and years studying the literature on recovery and spirituality and, as I think, most, as you probably all know, I mean, AA is a spiritually based program. And, and there was a recent meta-analysis that showed that AA still continues to be the most effective treatment for, for healing and recovery by far. Spiritually informed approaches are the most effective. And people who have had spiritual awakenings have a two to three to fourfold higher rate of recovery than people who have not. And that fascinates me. So for many, many, many years, I've, I really wanted to understand that deeply and understand the different uh, factors that cultivate an awakening. And out of doing that, um, I synthesized that into sort of a simple uh, approach that anybody can remember called the three A's of awakening. And so maybe it would be useful for me to tell um, uh, your listeners what the three A's of awakening are and how they how, how to apply those in, in our daily lives and in our daily recovery. Yes. Let's okay. do that. Okay. Love so, to hear it. Great. So it's going to sound very simple. There's a lot of complexity behind it, but basically the three A's are attending, appreciating, and acting. That's it. Now you know everything you need to know. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for, yeah, thanks thanks for coming on. Nice show. This was we'll a short back. show. God, this here, was the shortest show we've ever had. Here we come walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> part of me checked out when he said that there's some complexities i went oh god <laughs> oh my god they're simple and i can't remember the it's it's sunday i don't do complexities <laughs> no i'll do them no, so it's att ahead. attending appreciating and acting and i know because i wrote take it us down. through each of those talk to talk to us yeah. about attending Okay, so attending is basically just to pay attention, right? It, what's going on? It, the, the question that I, that I coach my patients is, what is this? What's going on? So for example, um, with a patient um, uh, that I was working with yesterday, he's been practicing presence or mindfulness. Um, what's going on? Oh, I notice I'm breathing. I notice the sensation of my breath. I notice the sensation of my butt on the seat. I notice that I see you. I notice that I hear you. Attending uh, mm -hmm. internally and externally, both at the same time. So internally, uh, my patient yesterday came to me because he's been practicing uh, attending and, and paying attention to the now, practicing presence or mindfulness, however you want to call it, attending. And he said, you know, Doc, I noticed that I spend most of my time thinking about myself. And I've been doing that a lot ever since I lost my my job as the president of my company because of my drinking. And I'm noticed, I'm just sort of wondering now uh, whether always thinking about myself has really been making me happy. And I, 
I think I noticed that it's not really making me that happy. And I'm not sure how it's really benefiting anybody for me to always be thinking about myself. So this is an example of attending. And what I've been doing is working with him for about six, six to eight months now on just attending. Now, the thing that you have to do, though, when you do this is you have to combine it with appreciating. And by appreciating, there's two sort of definitions of the word appreciating. One is to know or to understand. So, oh, I appreciate what you're saying. I understand. I know. So attending leads to appreciating, but appreciating also nurtures attending. And that's appreciating in the sense of when you truly deeply, deeply attend in, in an awakened experience, you truly deeply understand that everything is perfect exactly as it is. And there's non-judgment. What happens with the most profound appreciation is there's a falling away of judgment. There's a saying that judgment is a product of the egoic mind that is making a relative judgment of value relative to our own selfish concerns which is fine. It's good to have selfish concerns. Otherwise, we wouldn't be alive. But from a deep, profound spiritual point of view, when you have an awakening experience, you realize that everything is sacred and everything is exactly as it must and can only be. And from that absolute realization, you appreciate the sacred nature of everything. And when you combine that kind of appreciation with attending, right? What is this? And you combine that with this is sacred. What is this? This is sacred. What is this? This is sacred. What you develop is something that Ram Dash used to call um, loving awareness. Uh, and what I call uh, appreciative attending. Or, or, and it's basically a spiritual state of radical reverence. It's like, oh, that hurts, but this is sacred. Okay. Oh, yeah, you just, my they just rejected me. Uh, but, but, and this is painful. Yes, this is painful. But this pain is part of the sacred whole of things. So why is that so important? Because most of my patients have been wounded in terms of their sense of their own value and worth. And what they have been wounded by is by having taken in messages from the world that they aren't sacred. They have what I call a love wound, right? And the only way to truly heal a love wound is through appreciative attending. I'm going to be talking with you guys on Thursday, and I'll just give a little bit of preview on doing step four work is this idea that, um, that Tom, you have spoken to so many times, um, and, which I really appreciate, is cautioning people. When you start to attend to the reality of who you are and how you operate in the world, right? When you start to really, really attend like my patient looking at his, his compulsive self-preoccupation, you need to do so with an attitude of kindness, loving kindness, kind awareness. And at first, it's very hard to do that on your own, which is why you need an enlightened or kind sponsor or therapist or mentor or friend who can accompany you on that terrifying journey of looking within at yourself at exactly who you are. And to see, to, to see, to have the courage through appreciative attending, the courage to look directly into your love wound. Mm-hmm. Look directly into your love wound. And to see the way that that unexamined wound 
is operating your life, how it is setting the agenda and the motivations for everything that you do in order to try and manage the terrible pain of that loved one. Well, so, the, you know, Michael, that, that, you know, the, I don't even know if I can put this into words. It's just, it's, as I listen to what you're saying, it's, it's, uh, first of all, you have a, you have a hypnotic voice. So I, so I've, I've yeah. gone into it. I've gone into trance. Uh, I think I still am in a trance, but it's, it's that, that, Falling away of judgment that you talked about, which is what you're saying, you know, makes possible for us to look into, into, um, it's interesting. I heard Joe, Joe Biden said in his memorial thing the, the night before his inauguration, uh, he, he said, uh, he's talking about grieving when he was doing the memorial service for the people who've died of COVID. And he said, we have to grieve. And in order to grieve, we have to remember. And I, and I, and I just, I heard him say that and I just, it, it just went right to the very center of me. And, and he's wise enough to have repeated it. If to grieve, we have to remember. And, and that's what you're talking about. You're talking about you. That's, he's not talking about, Oh, I remember that time that we did so-and-so he's talking about going in and being with the, the, you know, the, that, that wound, those parts of us that are, and, you know, the idea it is so radical and shouldn't be, but it is so radical. The idea of this non-judgmental looking at ourselves and each other, because, you know, the thing I wrote down is that I realized when you were talking about that, is like, I said, you're, you're, you're breaking up the, 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 this chronic binary think question we have in our head all the time, good or bad, right. you know, so pain, bad, you know, pleasure good it's like that kind of stuff and it's like as soon as you take that out that one thing that if, if, if we could look at it mechanically and we could reach in there and we could take that binary question out it's like it changes everything yeah and that's what that's what i hear you describing and it and and to use the other word you're using there is and it feels sacred that that may just be because your voice is so cool but but <laughs> it also may be sacred <laughs> Well, so that's exactly right. I, I think that the survival of our human species depends upon us transitioning from judgment to discernment. I think the survival that's beautiful. Of our I'm writing that down. Yeah. I think it depends on our transition from judgment to discernment. That's great. Like, oh, yeah, that was bad, but you're not bad. I think that the greatest violence that we do upon each other is through judgment. And from a spiritual point of view, it is just so unskillful it is so unskillful um so really i, I you know i'm gonna i'm i'm playing around with this idea as i'm putting together the presentation for thursday but i'll share this with you all maybe you can advise me but i'm thinking of the first one of the first slides of putting up is the slide that asks the question is evil bad mm. is evil bad is evil bad right and yeah. I'm defining evil as unloving, okay, or or, okay. or sort of a net, net, a net harm to life or unloving. Is is unloving bad? Is evil bad? Because if you decide that, oh yeah, evil's bad, and every emotion around, oh, of course evil's bad. Of course evil's <laughs> bad, right? There are evil people in the world. But the the problem with doing step four and, and healing from from a love wound is you got to look directly into your own evil. Right. And, and, and really, um, 
you know, it, it really, if the universe is sacred and exactly, I mean, it is what it is. Who are we to judge reality, right? I think right. that's an act of incredible, um, oh, it's, it's just very unskillful. Um, so who are we to judge reality? So from an absolute point of view, evil is not bad, evil is sacred. But from a relative point of view, of course evil is bad, right? So how do you hold those absolute and relative perspectives at the same time as you begin to look directly into yourself and into other people, right? And if you do that, then, and if you see evil as just, it, as just an essential and necessary part of the fabric of what is and drop your judgments, then there can be discernment. Oh, this is harmful. This is unskillful. This is painful. This is hurtful. And then in the light of that kind of an awareness, that kind of, of movement from judgment to discernment, then love can arise, right? And, and really what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Sweet love. <laughs> I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that's where the three A's of awakening. And the third A is acting with love. And the thing is, if you truly practice appreciative attending, right? In, in okay, hold, hold on. Just a second. Before you go on to acting, I want to say something about what you just said, because it's so powerful. The, the, um, what you're talking about is, being, is the awareness of something that Alan and I talk about a lot, which is you know, the nature of consciousness as, as, as multiple, the nature of the universe multiple, as opposed to singular. That, that, you know, the myth of singularity is the thing that gets us, gets us trapped so often. And just as a, a short little example, like, like if I say, is my alcoholism bad? And, and so the way that my recovery works with the understanding of multiplicity, I go like, no, my alcoholism is either bad or good. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I've personified him years ago as a guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt and, and, and you know, with a, with, with a little empty glass with a, with an umbrella in it. And, uh, and I call him tequila boy. And, uh, and, you know, it, it, you know, the question is, is my alcoholism good or bad? It's like, it depends on what I do with it. And so I think that's where we're going with the action, but it's it basically, I just realized I'm, I'm at, I'm at the third A it's like, how am I, what am I going to do with this becomes the question. Yes. It's hard to be yeah. too mad at tequila boy. Oh, he's so cute. Yeah. He's a cutie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And, and, and what, what do we do with what, whatever is arising? That's absolutely right. So if you practice appreciative attending, what generates is radical reverence. And there's this idea that when you get very, 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 very present, I was talking to Patrick about this before you came on, Tom. And when, when you get very, very, very present, there is this experience of pure, spacious, luminous awareness, which is pure consciousness, right? And we've all had those experiences all of us have. And if you look at that, the remarkable, amazing, miraculous, incredible thing about pure awareness is that the essence of it is loving. It is loving. Apart from all the contents, the hatred, the judgment, the just, you know, all the negativity, all the self-hatred, what holds those experiences of consciousness is this sacred crucible of reverence. Reverent, reverent awareness. So if you can live from that place, oh my God, think how much it frees you, it, how much seeing that and experiencing that frees you to act with love. 
because now your agenda is not to do what you can to avoid and manage the pain of your love wound. Your agenda is to love, right? So there's a radical transition of it, uh, uh, of your agenda for living. My agenda, you know, because of my own love wound was to be special. My mom gave me 50 cents for A's and that was the only love I got was for my A's. And so I learned that if I get A's, I will get my mom's love in the form of this monetary return. And, you know, fast forward uh, 40 years and I'm a, a psychiatrist uh, living to be special so that I could feel lovable, right? But I didn't see any of that. I was unaware of that. Mm -hmm. It was only through attending, attending, looking very carefully and with a non-judgmental attitude of curiosity, kind curiosity, I, I, like being a, a kind scientist inquiring that I very painfully at the age of 52, um, actually I was 55, I got my second top doctor award in New Hampshire. And the first time was such a thrill. And the second time was like, okay, that was nice, but now what? Um, and, and it was like a very painful awakening that my life agenda of living to be special uh, was, was ultimately unfulfilling. And that what would be most fulfilling it, it, with that awakening is just to live to love. When you have that kind of awakening, it changes everything, right? And so with that kind of process of appreciative attending and seeing into the essence of our love wound and seeing how it's not working, all that we're doing to try and manage that pain and grieving that pain in an authentic way instead, profoundly liberating, profoundly liberating, because then what falls away in that experience of pure presence is just a drive, a, a, an awakening. There, there's no, it's almost like you have a mandate or a calling to love. And that's how awakening helps people in their recovery. And that's why people who have had awakening experiences have about a three to 400% higher recovery rate than people who have not. Say that last sentence again, Michael. I just want everybody yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Say that. Yeah. You know, the literature on this is scant. There's only maybe three or four or five or six articles that I can find in the literature, but the literature that it exists, as well as the anecdotal experience of millions of people who practice AA, is that there's about a 200 to 400% higher rate of recovery if you've had a spiritual awakening experience than if you have not. Yeah, that's profound, isn't it? Yeah. That's profound. Well, we're talking, and if we were going to, if we we're kind of operationalize that too, we're, I mean, well, I, rare, rare moment when I'm speechless, but I don't know the words for it, but we're, you know, it's, it's not just even power greater than it's just, it's the awareness that there's so much more here than me, than us. I mean, I mean, then that's, I can't, that, I don't have a sentence that doesn't make that sound completely understated. Well, the, but journey, it's like, the journey it's, towards attending, appreciating and acting, it's a best undertaken with somebody else with a collective or with a therapist, right? Or the key is to kind of like, you know, be led on that journey, right? Yes, I think, you know, I think that, that really um, a good therapist is, is also a spiritual teacher. Right. Yeah. Well, the other thing Patrick is referring to too is also sharing it. 
It's like, I mean, that's one of the things that we have. I mean, we don't, you know, this is the thing where, you know, my experience is with 12 steps a lot and all this, but it's, you know, and I always, I know we don't have a corner on the market of community, but it's like, that's where my experience is. And, and the idea is how often all, all you end up doing, you know, all you actually do the act, the doing with when we're together is we just simply share. We don't fix, we don't, you know, we don't, you know, we don't really make big changes we share, and and from that we heal. I mean, that Thursday night group that Alan started to, when COVID started is, it, it's you know, I mean, the last time I looked, it was like 167 people in that place, you know, it, you know, and it's like one of the most intimate groups I've ever been in, and you know, and you look at that number of people, and you go like, how are we doing this? And it's like, but we're doing the way we're doing it is we're doing it together. That's, I mean, it is, it is to me that, that, that Thursday night group is a spiritual experience. It, it really is that group. It's incredible. That group. Um, and there's so much wisdom. Uh, and you're right. We don't, none of us does this alone. Uh, nobody does recovery alone. Nobody heals alone. Um, we need each other to sort of help us to all look together, you know, in, I'm not a Buddhist, but in the Buddhist tradition, they talk about the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, right? The three jewels. Um, but I think you see that in any spiritual tradition, you see that there's a truth, right? And then there's a teacher, and then there's a community yeah. that sort of that sort of uh, con contemplates together the truth under the guide of somebody who's been there and done that, right? Who can sort of help show you the way. And Tom, you talk about that a lot, um, about the need, especially with doing step forward work, as I've listened to you over the past mm -hmm. few years about gosh, how important it is that to, to really, because there's a, there's a term in psychiatry, which I'll share with, with our audience, which is a really good term. And the term is called defusion. And it was, it was invented by a person named Steve Hayes, the founder of acceptance and commitment therapy, who is a genius. Steve Hayes is a true genius. Um, and you know the, the term defusion is really a term that he invented to talk about that decoupling of, of, of our experience from the contents of our experience mm -hmm. so that we can see our experience rather than be our experience. Mm -hmm. So for example, when judgments and self-hatred arise, you can look at that and go, oh, look at that. I think uh, somebody on, the, on our last call last Thursday talked about how even after all these years, she still gets suffused with this overwhelming feeling of self-hatred. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and, and this practice of appreciative attending, the first two A's, allows you to defuse from that. And when it arises in the space of your loving awareness, right, self-hatred, self-judgment, all that, to sort of see it all and just go, oh, because the natural, the natural response of pure consciousness is just compassion. But you really do need other people and a leader and somebody else when those harsh judgments arise, which they will, because that's how we've been programmed, that's the wound, right? Right. The wound, the love wound is rooted in judgments. It is rooted in judgments that we have received and believed when we were growing up. Judgments which we received and mm -hmm. believed. That is, the healing is to see that, and in the seeing of it, to have that naturally fall away in the light of, of awareness, like you said, we don't heal. Healing happens, but it happens with clarity, with seeing. When you see these negative, negative 
processes for exactly what they are, there is a natural falling away, a natural healing which occurs. And as we do that in, in, our, in, in your group, um, you can see this happening every Thursday. Mm -hmm. There's that insight, there's that clarity, there's that, uh, there's that awakening with one another. It's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the other thing you're talking about with, with the, the, the other, the other person or people that we need to, to you know, cause no, like you said, nobody does this alone is in what you're describing with the diffusion too, is, is, you know, I, I tend to simplify everything possibly just for myself, but it's, it's just, it's, we work so much with just changes of perspective and it's like, so really sometimes I'll describe myself if I'm described as a therapist is I'm a therapist. I listen to somebody for a while and then I go like, Hey, Hey, come over here and look at it from this angle, you know? And, and, and you basically, you know, I'm bending over about to fall out of my chair, looking at it from underneath going like, if you look at it from here, you know, it's like, and that's what we do when we put somebody in, you know, what's, what's the empty chair. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's that voice that says you can't do it right. Well, now that you see that there's a relationship, you know, the bottom line is you, you, you can stay messed up, but you could never. One of the things we do is we bring up the lights of awareness and it works like the hidden picture. You know, you can't not see it again. You know, that's a big part of what I learned recovery is, you know, we, the old guy, the, I said the old guy that told me this when I first was around the program, uh, even before I got sober, but it, it's, uh, I say old guy, I'm sure he was much younger than me now, but, it, but he, but he said, you know, AA can't stop anybody from drinking, but we can sure take the fun out of it, you know, and, and that, you know, that's the, what, that's what all three of us do professionally is we take the fun out of this shit for people, you know, we help them show things and say, now, now that's going to be more uncomfortable for you to do it. You know, we, you know, we can all go drinking if we want to, but I can't do it without knowing I'm a, I'm a re relapsing alcoholic. It really ruins it. Yeah. Yeah. Aware, the awareness is so powerful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's the underrated hero of, of all of this, isn't it? Yeah. Awareness heals. And and this is, that's why appreciative attending is so, so central because, um, what it does when you look, 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 you're eventually going to see, it. right? What well, but that's why, that's why we need the other perspective, though, because because what we've done is, like you say, with repetition, we look, 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 we see the same thing, see the same thing, see the same. We're 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 just we're just making it set in concrete, and then we need somebody else to say, no, you have to take a look at this over here. It's like because uh, because. I mean, speaking for myself, my perspective of who I am and what I am is, I mean, I don't think it would even be recognizable to a younger version of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Other people have helped you to see things. In a yeah. Way. And, and actually in a clearer way, they've helped you to see more clearly, more deeply. And a teacher or a therapist or a friend or your spouse, or we, we all do that for each other. We help each other to have a to see things from a different, more deeper, more clear perspective, don't you think? But, but what you're also saying is we're just, but what we're seeing is us. We're not, we're not making, it's not, what we call change is really, is really the back to this awareness. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, we're changing how we're approaching this stuff, but it's, it, that's the piece that comes up. I mean, Alan, this is the truth for you too. It's like, so often the biggest thing we have to share with people is all, you know, all that horrible stuff you think about yourself. is just not true. Well, yeah, you get we get to discover a new possibility. So I was thinking of an interesting exercise. So if you're listening 
to what Dr. McGee is saying and you're struggling with it, it an interesting thing would be, so one of the things we do in Gestalt therapy a lot, uh, Michael, is we get someone to shift between two different positions. Right. And by the way, Dr. Hayes, a lot of what he's doing came out of Gestalt therapy. Mm-hmm. And he even credits that when you see him live and talk about it is that he was very impressed by Dr. Pearl's work about really helping someone increase the awareness of what they were doing. And then part of the therapy then was to discover new possibilities and to create experiences, not just thoughts, but experiences that help someone discover these new possibilities. And you see a lot of that work in what Dr. Hayes is doing. He's brilliant at it. Yeah, I agree with you. He's brilliant at it. And, uh, and his approach is very, it's refreshing. There's no question about it. So, so it's, it would be interesting seeing, and Tom and I do this work all the time in dealing with different parts of a person. So let's say, we were working with someone and we saw that they're trying to look at a particular issue in their life. Let's say this gentleman you were working with, with his selfishness, mm-hmm. right? And that he was starting to become aware as you to ask him, what are you attending to? I'm aware. I think about myself all the time. And then all of a sudden, God, that really sucks, right? That there's a part of him that comes in and says, what a, you know, it's terrible. Look at what I've done. I've been selfish, self-centered my whole life. Da, 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 da. So it would be very interesting then to have one chair be the judge and critic giving him that feedback mm-hmm. and switch to another chair and have him just do what you call the appreciate, uh, appreciate that position instead of judging it is to appreciate that that's come into his life for a good reason. It just didn't happen. He's not just, quote, an asshole. I'm not saying there aren't some assholes out here that don't need to look at me. Hey, 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 hey. hey. (laughs) I knew Tom Tom would take that personal. Like, I just just knew that would push a button over there. But but see, it's that, it's that, so the way that I think about the diffusion thing is also differentiation is what we start to do is give a person to differentiate themselves from these different parts and look at what might be a a more nourishing relationship with themselves. What is going to help them grow versus keep them stuck and struggling and suffering, right? That becomes such an important part of this whole experience that we try to, to, as midwives, bring into people's consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm just suggesting that if you're listening to, to what Dr. McGee is saying, you can just do that is, is let give voice to the one side of you that might be judging you and then move over and see if you could now shift your perspective and appreciate what's going on instead of judge it. Well, I think, I think, yeah, that, that's, that's, I, I really, what I do is, is model for my patients is, that 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 sort of that being of kind, non-judgmental awareness and inquiry, the kind scientist to look at this. Well, you have that very much in your personality. I really see that. Like that Tom was saying, you're mm-hmm. almost hypnotic in terms of mm-hmm. how you create that energy. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 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 I yeah. Not- so it's very much so. I could see where somebody mm-hmm. would get that right away from talking. About. Yeah, first, it's Tom and I. We have to let that discover that because we don't bring that out. Very, very, very right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just, I just, I just, I just like listening, to, listening to him talk. I'm going, listen. That's a nice sound. 
<laughs> it is. It's very soothing. Incredibly soothing. I haven't done much parts work, but with my patient, uh, what we did was we sort of looked at, well, well what, what's that all about, all that self-preoccupation? And what he said to me was, looking, 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 looking. You know, I, I'm really just, I'm obsessed with my worth and my value now that I lost my job. And, and he was able to talk about how being the top dog in his company, and now his company is being run by his family, and he's no longer in charge. And, you know, that's very common for us men, too, in particular, uh, maybe for everybody. But very much he, he tied his identity and his worth yeah. to, to his being the top dog. And when he lost that, he felt peripheral. And that made him compulsively self-preoccupied with his work. And, and so where was that wound before that? Because what he did was mm -hmm. he went into building his company with the idea that this would make him worthy. Just like I went into being a physician with the idea that that would make him worthy. We both traveled that same narcissistic path. And, um, and so what we're looking at now is, is where did that wound come from? See, I think you need to see the origins of the wound. I really do. Mm -hmm. um, Look, 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 attend, appreciative attending to the right to the center of it all. And the wound came from many, many different places. He wasn't very smart in college. Um, he really struggled. He came from a very well-to-do family of very brilliant people, and he just did not measure up. And in his family, the message was that you need to do well in school and you need to achieve if you, if you want to be worthy and valuable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he received it and he believed it. He received it and he believed it. And so now he's going through a profound spiritual crisis because he can't work in that job anymore. And so what we've been talking about is, well, maybe there, maybe, it's, this is a little trick that I do with people. So it's a, it's, it's a little trick to get them there. And the trick is this. I say, uh, maybe, maybe you should try seeing if you can put your value in your work and not some, how special you are as the head of the company, but how lovable you can be to the people you love. Let's try that. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a little experiment, which is every day have him get up and make a little game out of how many loving things he can do for his friends and family every day. And just to calculate and then do a little journaling at the end of the day. The idea behind this, I believe, is that the more lovable you are, the more lovable you'll feel. The more loving you are, I mean, the more lovable you yeah. are. I think it's just a, a basic thing of ego consciousness and, and the way we human beings are wired. That the more loving you are, the more lovable you'll feel. Now, I say it's a trick because um, ultimately the goal is to get to that awakened experience where you realize that you are unconditionally lovable and sacred, even if you're the biggest asshole on the planet. Um, and, and but, but you know what, to get to that, I think it really helps trans transitionally to go out and, and do good. The idea being that I think is that doing good triggers feeling good and feeling good triggers doing good. And I think you get a virtuous cycle of doing and being and doing and being and doing and being that goes up. So um, uh, he's probably not listening right now to this podcast, but um, I'm being a little sneaky with him, but um, I do think that this is a good way to move forward in terms of coming to that place of realization. Well, talk about medication. I mean, here's, this is, we'll call it psychological or even spiritual medication. I mean, what, 
one of the things I talk to people about, you know, who are especially people who are very angry, very, you know, unhappy about things. It's like, is just doing kindness. It's like, go, go, go do, you know, and it's, it's amazing, you know, because I know this for myself, because it's like when, because what you're doing is, is, you know, it's, you know, it's, there's more to do, but if I'm being kind to people, if I'm, if, if that's my goal, if that's what I'm doing, I am running kindness through my, I am, I am running kindness and love through my, my vessel here. It's like, you know, it, you know, for years and years, I kept myself the, I call it the dangerous double standard. None of that applied to me, but to other people so that I could do that. But it's, but it's, it's like, still, it's, you're still, you're still, that's very good for us. Yes. to do that yeah. and there's there's always people out there that could just use a little kindness absolutely you know there there are two very large well-designed studies with with what i think i can't give you the exact number but hundreds if not thousands of subjects where they studied volunteerism volunteer work in in older adults mm -hmm. people people like my age in their in their 60s mm -hmm. 50s 60s 70s and what they found is that People who volunteered at least one day a week had one third the mortality rate of every of the people who didn't volunteer, mm -hmm. and that was controlling for age, demographics, sex, um, health status, all other variables being controlled and being equal. The people who devoted their who lived to give, who devoted their lives to giving, mm -hmm. basically the idea is love, love, uh, living a life of love is very good for you. Surprise! Well, it's, 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 my, my wife always talked to her clients about positive selfishness. It's, it's, that's positive selfishness. It's like, it's like yeah, no, it's, it's like, like, no, this is self, it's self-focused because what am I doing? I'm, you know, it, this is a win-win. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to look for a place to, to, to make somebody's day a little bit better. It's like, like, what are you going to, how are you going to feel about that? I'm, my day's going to be much better, you know? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's it's what it reminds me of is this idea that I've talked a lot about. Is see, when I think trouble starts is when we dedicate ourselves to actualizing a concept of who we should be. Like this patient of yours, yeah, I got to right. be the CEO to be okay. That's how people are going to love me, and for me to belong, I've got to master. You know, these situations, the appeal of mastery. And, and what happens in recovery is instead of being dedicated to actualizing a concept of who we should be, we dedicate ourselves to actualize who we are. We are. And we are loving beings. There's no question we want to be of value and that, that we want to be connected in a certain way. And a lot of us just don't know how to do it. And I agree with what you said. I think instead of pathologizing all of these things, these symptoms, because that's what happens so much. Um, I heard somebody talking about that at a meeting I was earlier today. It was like when he first came in the program, he was looking at all of these things that were wrong with him <laughs> instead of what was right about him. And it really was so out of balance in terms of being out of balance. He was doing the same thing he was doing before, but now with recovery. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it's that same kind of weird thing. Yeah. And, and um, you know, so, you know, where I'm going with this thing is, is that God, finding a way to be of value and to feel good about yourself is such an important alternative to what we did before. And I, I, I just, that's where I was going to go. I recalled a, uh, a statement Rollo May said about this stuff, who was 
a genius in his own right. He, he says, he goes, neurosis this is a time when I used to talk about neurosis. Mm-hmm. He goes, neurosis is not a devi is not a deviation from, from normality. He says, but rather an adaptation to finding a way to ensure our existence. Mm-hmm. So that he saw it as the, a way of trying to keep as much of your wholeness or integrity as you could keep, given what was available for you at the time in your life and in your environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a brilliant, it was a brilliant observation on his part. Yeah. And so, like you said, this man, he had adopted that thing. You adopted what you did. I adopted what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom and Patrick did the same thing is we took whatever we could in our environment, made these creative adaptations to ensure our existence. And then later on, you hit a point in your life like you did, like I did, like Tom did, like Patrick did, where we realized the the limitation of that solution. And it's and we have a crisis around that limitation. And now at that moment, when that crisis hits, Yes. There's the opportunity. Yes, 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 yes. Blessed be the crises. <laughs> That's it, right. Blessed be the crises. Right, right. For they shall take us to a new place. <laughs> That's right. So this is a great discussion, Michael. I really, I really, well, I, I'm with Tom. I just, you have, you are, it is so nice to be around you. You are so soothing in so many ways and yet so stimulating. You bring such a wonderful combination mm-hmm. of that's, that's That's a great way to say it. You that's know, it's, it's, it, it, there's yeah. no way I fall asleep. It's like mm. I go into this trance of mm-hmm. thinking of all these possibilities. It's like, no, like, it's, it's, it, we're, we're, we're in the A's. We're, no, we're, we're, you're automatically attending. That's right. That's it's right. Like, oh, yeah. You, you, you have a, a re- and thank you for bringing that gift to, to our show today. I want, I want, I want Michael to come back sometime and for you to join us in a conversation about the thing that we're trying to figure out that I can speak for myself. I'm trying to figure out is, is how to contribute to healing in this country with all this going on politically. Yeah, so uh, it's, Can you come next week, Michael? Are you free? Sure. Yeah, actually, I wrote up, I wrote, I spent three hours writing something up on that last Sunday to my family because I'm trying to work. My, my brother's a real, real right wing. I love him. I love him. I love him. And uh, so we are working on trying to heal within our own family. Oh, oh um, you're the guy, man. You got to come yeah. back. You got to come back because we this because it's it's a challenge, man. And, and, and I think that's where the humility is. We, any of us who are, you know, rather than just say, well, well here's what we just got to do this and this. It's sort of like, no, I think there's such a part. Mental health is is, is needed so much yes. in this process. And, you know, when I've told somebody the other day, they need to on on the on the talk shows and stuff, they need to, to stop putting the psychologist at the very end like they do the local news with the puppies you know you know it's just you know here's a psychologist saying a couple of things it's like we need to be part of those discussions and it's it's like and and uh because for one thing we actually have the ability to say hey listen can everybody here sitting at the table fucking just admit that you don't know everything 
you yeah. know, how about that? How about we start there? And, you know, and then, we, then we'll see what happens. It's, it's like, but anyway, I'm, I'm fascinated with the challenge. It scares the crap out of me. Uh, and I would love for you to come back. If you can come back, that'd be great. Oh, I'm so honored. I love you guys so much. And, and I want to just um, say how much I appreciate how affirming you two both are, how all three of you actually are just so such loving people. So it's a pleasure to be with you and I'd be honored to come back next week. Yeah, let's do it next week because I have that brother too. You sure your brother is not my brother? <laughs> <laughs> he is. That's what we're all learning. See, he is. He, your brother is my brother. Here we come walking down the street. Get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. <laughs> all right. All right. So you'll be back next week. You can do it, Michael. Does that work for your schedule? That'd be great. Yeah. If you're listening and have not been to our Thursday night meeting, contact us. Or, or I think the, the, the contact information for how to get on that meeting, Patrick will probably have it in, in the notes. 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Zoom ID is 330-149-513. That's 330-149-513. And password is 375986. Thank you, Michael. It's a spiral, not a circle. Goes round, round, round. For solutions, be your own friend. Never say never in either direction. Look in the mirror, trust the reflection.